Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today in the show, I have my good friend, Marcus Brown, and this is our first intercontinental Rambling Runner episode. So I called in to Marcus, who's in England, and uh, luckily the audio went great, uh, almost as well as the conversation went. It was uh, it was really a fun conversation with Marcus, who recently completed the Abbott World Marathon Majors. He com- he completed all six of them, um, not all in one year, obviously, but he did all six, and this was uh, just a huge achievement for Marcus. I'm so proud of him. Uh, he really is a great guy, and he completed... Um, he completed all six by doing Boston 2018 and then shortly, shortly thereafter ran London again. So it was quite a double header for him um, and actually got his marathon personal best of all places in Boston this year in the rain and in the wind. So just just an enormous accomplishment for him. So we dive into that. We also talk extensively about his kind of the mission underlying his running, which is to provide uh, awareness and advocacy uh, to the fact that one in four people in the UK will be affected by a mental health challenge. We dive into this subject, not only uh, generally speaking about mental health, but also specifically about his own challenges. And uh, we uh, had a very frank and honest conversation about this. This is kind of the start of the episode. And uh, I really appreciate Marcus for being honest and wanting to talk about this because I know that this is a topic that affects a lot of people, not only um, them individually, but maybe people that they know and love. So I really do appreciate him talking about this, and uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Marcus. I know I did. Uh, Feel free to share this episode. I love it when you do. I love it when you share it on the DMs uh, or the the Instagram stories, it uh, really does uh, make my heart feel good, that's for sure. And if you haven't done so already, you can follow me on Instagram. It's at rambling underscore runner. But I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Marcus Brown. And here is my interview with Marcus. Oh, Marcus, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? So excited to uh, talk to you. Um, I'm a big fan of the show and you know, you've had so many great uh people that i've met um through various races so um yeah excited to get started running there you go I'm, I'm excited to talk to you that's for sure um someone who has accomplished so many things in a running uh in a running context period of time so you are a uh, a world marathon major six star finisher first of all congratulations thank um, you that is quite an accomplishment. In fact, um, you're one of, I think you're the third person I've had on the podcast who, who, who's achieved that. Um, Mike Sheehy and, um, and Brooke Adams as well. Uh, so all of you are, are really are remarkable runners. That's, that's, that's for sure. And let me just say this. Not only have you done that, but you did a little, uh, little back-to-back recently. You went from Boston to London. Yeah, and, uh, like, did, yeah. Did, did both marathons. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but uh, my body <laughs> was uh, definitely feeling it after after Boston. So that was a good experience. So when did you decide uh, that you were going to do both? Um, I knew I was going to do Boston because that was the, the final six. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to run London. So that was quite late in the year. Um, ideally, I wouldn't want to run you know two marathons so close together, but 
you know, London is so difficult to get into. You know, you've got 40,000 places, you get 300,000 people applying. You know, it's really hard to get into. So, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I just couldn't turn it down. Now, did you go through the normal lottery process? I did, but unfortunately, I didn't get a place. Um, so, I was fortunate enough to get offered a media place to do it. Um, and, yeah, so I was, that was a, an amazing blessing to get in because I, I tried the, the ballot twice and I was fortunate enough to, to run it in 2010. 2015 but all the other years I've, I've not got in and then how does that work in terms of getting a media a media entry into the race um so just through the stuff that i'm doing on social media um all the posting i'm doing about my running um and then you just sort of reach out to different people and all they reach out to you and they say you know it's been really cool to work with you uh, would you like to do this race and that's basically how it happens really uh but it's ma- been mainly just through off the back of the stuff i've done on social media Oh, that's interesting. Hey, it worked yeah. out, right? So it's yes. like it's yes. it's funny you have like a tangible benefit to that sort of uh, that sort of process because oftentimes people can be influenced by people like yourself, but you, there's no concrete feedback that you can receive on the back end. You just kind of hope it gets well received. Um, when yeah. you you're you're you're, uh, you're you're pretty forthright and provide a lot of candor in a lot of the posts that you do, so it must have been nice to kind of get that recognition a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's nice, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's got to come from yourself, really. It's it's nice to have like praise, or you know, it's not nice to have criticism, but at the end of the day, you know, both you have to kind of compartmentalize and just kind of do what's right for you, really. That's a good point. So, did you now do you've run was this 18 marathons you've run? Yes, 18 okay. to date, yeah, that's awesome. So when you were preparing for Boston slash London, because it really was the train, the same training cycle. Um, yeah. Did you do anything differently to prepare um, for both races? Cause you, cause, because they were back to back or was it pretty similar to other training plans? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, actually, even though I've run 18 marathons, I probably haven't really started training properly uh, until before Chicago. When I, when I say properly, I mean, um, I was kind of training, like, say, four months beforehand and not doing enough training between. Um, and something I've learned with marathon training is it's, you know, year-round. It's it's not something you sort of dip in and out of. You have different training blocks. And that's something I've developed on my coach and since before Chicago. So it's been a, a long journey. So it's been, like, a year or so of work, of, of work, just sort of gone into this sort of training, building up the mileage to, you know, 50, 60 miles plus a week, so the peak mileage. Um but I probably the only thing I probably did differently for Boston training was to do a lot more hills. Um, and that's unfortunately how I got injured uh, four weeks before Boston. Um, but that's probably the only thing I probably did slightly differently. Yeah. So dive into that. How, so what, what was the injury? How did it happen and how did it affect you moving forward? Um, so I try and incorporate some hills into like day-to-day training. So it's not all sort of pancake flat. Um, but what for my long run, uh, long run, I was trying to replicate what I thought kind of what Boston would be like. So I, I decided to go for like the hardest course that I could find, uh, where I live. Um, and unfortunately it sort of backfired, uh, for me. Um, so I thought before and I could sort of feel that my, my knee wasn't feeling right the days after, uh, running. I mean, when you're running most days, you, you sort of ache, but you can sort of, know what's an ache and what's more serious and I could feel it was a bit more serious uh, so I had to take some time off and you know ice it and you know do all, everything that you're supposed to do see your physio etc um unfortunately kind of after a couple of days 
started running again. It didn't sort of sort itself out, and it's a sort of reoccurring problem until until Boston, really. So it was quite a few trips to the physio, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of acupuncture, a lot of resting, icing. Um, but my training mileage dropped a, a little bit just to sort of allow my uh, my knee really some some time to try and get in good shape, really. Right. And as you mentioned, training for a marathon is a long process. But yeah. with that said, four weeks out is kind of like the peak of, tra- of marathon training, right? That's like the, yeah. the, the, the kind of the, the peak two or three weeks before your taper. Um, yeah. So that, that certainly is unfortunate. So do you know how you hurt it? Um, historically, on my right side, I've got a slight imbalance. And that's just to do with like just not doing enough. I think with strength conditioning, really. So you could always do a bit more. Um, but I just think historically with hills, I always have a slight issue uh, with my right side. So anytime I sort of, you know, increase it too much, it kind of backfires. So I think that's something, a lesson that I'm learning and something my coach and I are going to work towards um, addressing for the, for the next training cycle for um, New York. Yeah, I can relate. In my second marathon, I ran the Cape Cod Marathon here in Massachusetts. And yeah. the second half of it, was, it was basically it was rolling hills, nothing huge, nothing over like a 50 foot gain, but there yeah. was basically no flatland. Yeah. So I'm running it and I had, I've never experienced knee pain either in my basketball days or running or whatever, but I hit mile 22 and I start having a significant knee pain on the outside of my left knee, kind of yeah. right in the middle of the knee. And it was like a shocker to me. Cause I had never, I never had to work around it. Cause I'd never experienced anything like yeah. it. And at the time I was like, flummoxed like how could this possibly happen and then it was funny a couple months later i was doing hill repeats and i'm doing in the morning before work and as i'm jogging back down i caught my shadow from the street lights and i saw how far i was leaning back and i was like oh that doesn't doesn't seem right so like as soon as i leaned forward the knee pain went away never came back I couldn't believe it It was like something so simple and yet you know in the course of a marathon you start to lose your you kind of lose yourself and lose your form a little bit because of all the fatigue. Yeah. And there was something so small, like had this big, you know, kind of domino effect within my stride. It was like, even to this day, I'm still surprised that that became such an issue with something that was so easy to fix. But I think subconsciously, like when you got some sort of uh, injury or something that's troubling you, you, you put more weight on the other side. That happened to me. Some, I was putting more weight on my left side. Uh, to try and overcompensate so it could have been that and it's good that you could sort of see it and sort of spot it really so do you feel like you were uh you were ready for the hills of boston um i think i tried my best but i i think knowing that getting that injury it, it was going to be tough um and no one was definitely sitting go yes because you know you've not run the course before and that's just going to be disrespectful to the course itself so i tried my best i did everything i could up to that point and I knew leading up to it that it was going to be more mental uh, than physical, really, because um, I was going to have to sort of really overcome some sort of difficulties because it's nice to get to a start line knowing that you've done everything to get there in, in good shape and your mind's right. But when you have that little doubt, it's, it's, it's tough. And then also the, uh, the pressure as well from the six-star finish. You want to finish it the six and not come back, um, you know, do it next year. So... That's a good point. That's a good point. When you talk about it all being mental, that goes to um, 
from a broad perspective, um, sort of the mission behind your running. And I, I've been, at, I've had a chance to read a lot of your blog posts, either on your yeah. site or on, a, on the Huffington Post you've also blogged on. And, and you've been yeah. interviewed by quite a few people, which is, it's really interesting to, to kind of read your backstory because you do have, um, I, I'm not going to speak for you. We, we, we can talk about it later, but I, uh, I do, I'll just mention your mission here. It says highlight and raise awareness that one in four people in the UK will experience a mental health challenge. And that's kind yeah. of the, the mission behind your running. And that's it, it, a pretty broad thing. You say we'll experience a mental health challenge. What, what does that exactly mean? I mean, there's such a broad range. Um, and obviously I can't speak for everyone that's had a mental health challenge. I can only speak for my own experience. Um, but, you know, on the outside, you know, it just might be typical for many people. You look at someone, you think, oh, you know, they've got it all together. You know, they're ambitious. They're doing really well. They're hitting all these goals. You know, nothing is wrong in their life. But I think for me personally, um, especially in the early days of my marathon training is different now. I was running and I was running to kind of fill up an empty bucket, so to speak, but the bucket had holes in it. So every race was kind of trying to fill up that sort of the confidence. Um, but after, you know, a week or so, the marathon, you know, finished a high sort of goes down, you, you kind of back to, to zero again. So I think, the marathons in the early days and things like that and achieving was definitely a way to kind of feel something which I felt I was missing and it needed some time and some work to, to do that. And when you say to fill that, to kind of fill the confidence gap that was missing, were you hoping that by training for a marathon that you'd be building yourself up or was it more of, and maybe you weren't even aware of this at the time, but in retrospect, hoping that you'd receive some sort of like external um, external rewards or social capital for, for going through the marathon experience? Um, I think it was more internal, really. Um, I was hoping that by doing it, I would sort of make myself feel more full and more kind of more confident and more assured of myself. Um, and it did for a little while, but, you know, it, it's, it would pass. Um, but that was sort of mainly to do with kind of things that happened to me growing up. Um, you know, not feeling good enough. And it does transpire into different areas of your life. And as I get older, one of the ways I try to fill up that sort of sense of doubt and not being good enough was, you know, overachieving in you know, work um, and even in, in, in trying my hand in running. And I was hoping by doing this amazing thing at 26.2 miles that I would I'd get to this state of this peak, you know, of Nirvana. But life is, you know, life has taught me that, you know, it's, you know, you take the good, the good part and the, and the bad part, you know, neither is good, neither is bad. It's just, it just is really. So. So while you were doing, you know, kind of yeoman's work here with your training and becoming a marathoner and, and kind of, you know, you started running a little bit later in life and, and you really kicked it into yeah. high gear. And while you were doing those amazing things, it sounds like it really wasn't, while it had plenty of positive benefits, didn't quite fulfill what you had hoped it would internally. So what, what were how were you able to uh to kind of deal with that how did you end up getting that confidence or overcoming um some of the difficulties of your past if running wasn't the only elixir yeah i mean it's 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 a long journey i mean people might look at the social media side and think well you've just you've only been posting for let's say two years or so it must be quite easy for you just to get to that point but there were years when I was running marathons and I wasn't, wasn't getting any better and I wasn't training properly and I wasn't sort of filling my, my own cup, so to speak. Um, and then I had a period of time where 
I think after an injury or so, um, to my right side, um, which I know now, which is why it is. Um, I just stopped running for quite a few years, um, and I didn't. I think it was like I think after 2010, I didn't run until 2015, so I completely stopped. Um, and then when I sort of returned, I kind of got. I think I got a ballot place into London. That sort of kick-started things. Um, but it's it, it's, a, it's a lot of work, you know. You do outside of running, you know, um, self-reflection, uh, and that sort of helps. And I think as you grow older, um, you become a bit more patient and with yourself, a bit kinder of yourself. Um, you start to see that um, things that you may be carrying as your own, um, you know, you've been passed on from other people, you know, um, and you just have to sort of learn to you know what's yours and what's other people's and just kind of get more. And it, I'm sort of, you know, you know, going over it quite quickly, but I mean, it, it's been a long process and I wouldn't even sit there and say, you know, I've reached the end of that journey, Matt. Um, mm-hmm. I've just learned a lot more. I'm a lot further down the line than I was back in 2010, 2015. Um, but I think running, you know, when I was in a bad place, running didn't help me much. But now I'm in a little, in a better place. Running has helped, but you know I wouldn't want to say that running is the only any way. So I wouldn't never want to say to people like you know, if you're feeling down, that go for a run. That that will solve your problems. It, it for me it didn't. I had need. I needed to sort of spend that time uh, working on myself to to get to that place really. So it sounds like introspection was key to kind of lead you down, um, I guess, I don't even know how exactly how to phrase it, but kind of lead you down like the correct path or the proper path to kind of healing whatever ailed you mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And um, I mean, also I've not spoken about it before, but you know, I've, I've done therapy before and uh, that really helps. And, you know, that really helps me learn how to, you know, take time out um and pay attention to things because i think in life it's just so easy just to you know you get up you go you don't spend time just you know being um and paying attention to your breast type thing and you know just paying attention to what's happening in your mind um and just not judging it just letting it happen and and then reviewing it really um but i wouldn't want to say that i sort of developed that by myself because that would just be you know untrue but you know it's been able to help with other people that helped me and also, like family, friends, my wife has been an amazing support to me. So, and then you mentioned in one of your blog posts, you had this quote. You said, "By making a conscious effort to go public, I was holding myself accountable to break a uh, subconscious behavior." And this is in regards to you being more active in social media and writing blog posts and, and things like that. So, what was the initial inclination that um, you know, this is this is very this is very well said about kind of yeah. like having an accountability mechanism. What, what kind of brought you to that point of identifying um, being kind of like a, not a public figure per se, because you weren't at that point, yeah. but, but, but being more public about um, your life would lead you uh, to a positive place. Um, therapy. And I'll say something that therapy has taught me is that off, before I started it, the thing that I was afraid of, I, I kept running from, and I learned that in therapy that, you actually have to face the things you're afraid of. And then once you face those things, they're actually, it's, there's a period of pain, but then afterwards it gets better. Um, and this was just another continuation of it, really. So for me, anyone that knows me uh, privately, I'm kind of quite quiet. I'm really quite, quite reserved, um, you know, despite the stuff you may see in social media. So for me, this is like complete opposite of my personality. 
So I was wanted to do something that I thought was completely opposite, something that would scare me, put myself out there in social media, just talk about my running journey um, and just trying to be uh, you know, in a positive person but a real person at the same time because I don't want to say because sometimes life isn't always you know smiles and it, it is what it is so for me basically it was just to do something that scared me and uh and just see what so it took me really and I think I came I come from it from a little different foundation but I think I have potentially something that that parallels what you're thinking is that I've definitely found myself from a running perspective or even with this podcast is that because it's a public thing, it definitely serves as another motivator and accountability mechanism for me to like keep up my running or to like to do a, you know, a good job with certain, with certain elements of my life. Because frankly, if I don't at this point, I'm not going to be the only one that knows it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. like if all of a sudden I stop running um, frankly, there's going to be people out there who will notice. And I've definitely yeah. had those experiences, whether it's running at all or running times and things like that, that there's this um, accountability mechanism or kind of like unspoken peer pressure in a positive yeah. sense, not in a negative sense, in a positive sense to be like, hey, you know, like you can do another mile of this tempo run or you can do another mile repeat. Again, this sounds yeah. trite, but I think that the influence can be the same to say, hey, you know, like there's there's people who are who are out there watching what you're doing, again, with all the best of intentions, and you want to yeah. make sure that you kind of live up to your own potential in that regard. Yeah, that's it's I know what you mean. It's and it's something that I think has sort of crossed my mind, but I, I know it sounds easy, but I always try and just go back to the self really. Um you can't really control what everyone else is gonna think or do. It'd be nice if they liked it, but you know, for every one person likes it, you can have it with someone else who doesn't like it. So I always just try and run for myself because you find that when you're struggling and during a race or training, if you're running for other people, then you're more likely to quit. So I always go back to I'm running just to be the best version of myself. I'm trying to do the best I can. Um, and everything else on top of that is a bonus. That's a great point because it really does speak to how individualistic uh, running can be because we have like, you kind of like a different, I guess a different take on the same issue, but it both work, but it works well for both of us, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like you're able to identify your own motivators and I'm able to identify my own motivators and say, all right, well, like if I, as long as I'm self-aware about these things, I can yeah. make sure that I can make the most of it. Like if I, I know that if I don't have a coach or someone like that, that's, that's going to see my running, that I can flake out so easy. I've done yeah. it countless times in the past. So for me, it's like, if I'm purely internal, I know it's not going to be enough. I know that yeah. like whatever feelings I have as a person will lead me to just like to bag it or to like procrastinate or rationalize away the workout or things like that. That's for sure. Yeah. I think for me as well, and it's the same truth, same, the same truth for me, really. I think I, I've got my core. So my coach, I'm accountable to him. Uh, obviously my wife um, my daughter I want to be the best I want to show her that you know her dad did the best that he could and tried his best and be a good example because it's what you do rather than what you say um, but then I want to do the best I can for everyone else it sounds horrible you have to kind of just switch off and just be like you just have to put into a different box so it's just my close circle those are sort of the main people that I'm I kind of have more accountability to that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's a great, that's a great point. 
So back to marathoning. All right. So here, yep. so we got, I got, I have your PRs here from your website, 5k PR, 1934, 10k yep. PR, 39.20, which is basically like running two of your 5k PRs, which is pretty yep. incredible. Uh, yeah. Half marathon PR, 128 and change. Marathon PR, 328.40. So you are one heck of a short course racer. So what made you want to um, stick with the longer races? Um, it's just a challenge, really. Um, it, because the marathon is so difficult. And I'm not quite sure, you know, you, you sort of sit and go, I, I've ever, I want to conquer it. But it, it, it presents that challenge to me. That's why I want to. I want to sort of see what I can do with it in the future and, and what times I can do. But yeah, I, I do agree. I think the short distances, if I was being more pragmatic and I was being more practical, <laughs> then I would go for the short distances. But, you know, runners were sort of a crazy bunch where they're like, oh, it's only 100 miles. So I'll give it a go. <laughs> or it's only 26.2 miles. And it's true. Yeah, so <laughs> that's true. I mean, that's a good yeah. point. It's like so many people, like, will look, you know, we'll, we'll see you know, either a distance or a time, you know, how many hours can I run things like that as like this, this, uh, you know, this goals that they want to achieve as opposed to say like, Hey, I got, you know, I'm going to double down on my strength. It's like, no, I'm going to find my weakness and I'm going to like, you know, wrestle that sucker into, into submission, I guess. And which is, which is really interesting. And now it doesn't seem like you have necessarily in the past two years raced with like a PR in mind because you've done so many marathons. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I think the PRs have found me. The harder I've worked, and the more I've just focused on just doing the best I can in each moment. Um, whereas, you know, before Chicago, I wasn't training as well as I could have done. You know, the blocks were sort of you know sporadic, to say the least. Um, and I was getting the times that reflected that really. And it's not until I started working with my coach last year, um, and now I can see you know marathon running and you know to get quick times. You know, you need to put the miles you know you put the miles in your, in your legs and it, but it doesn't take four months it doesn't take six months you know it could take a couple of years so i'm i'm on that journey and i, I realize like the, the the work i need to do really so the prs and the short distances only recently came about uh, but that is mainly through the marathon training and i wasn't you know searching thinking i'm going to do 5k or 10k or anything like that it was just like oh it would be nice to try and break you know 20 minutes or 5k and then it kind of happened but the years before i was trying it and it never happened. So <laughs> I was stuck in 22, 23 for quite a few years. So yeah, it's a, uh... and then here you are sub 20 and 5k and 10k from a pace perspective, which is, which is really moving. I mean, a sub, a sub 40 10k is a, it's certainly rarefied air for most dedicated amateur runners. That's for sure. Um, I think there's a lot of 10ks around. I don't know where, but we're uh, in London or where, wherever you travel for races, but, around here it's hard to find a 10k race yeah um i mean there are quite a few 10k races i mean i I use like runners world and just different websites you know there's so much especially with social media you can always find something and it's obviously being in a in a capital city with so many runners it's it's generally makes it a bit easier to find things um but you know i don't often sort of go for the, the short distances really i'm still just focused on the on the, on the marathon because I think I know it's it's so difficult for me it's so out of my comfort zone people say you know you've got the body type for a sprinter or you know 400 meters or 800 meters but for me it's just a challenge of thinking well what if you know what 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 can be possible really so 
that's what sort of inspires me. Right. And there's not a lot of people after they leave school who are going to be running 400 meter races. No, no. <laughs> you don't see, you don't no. see many half mile races around, you know, at, at the local track. Um, even if you do check runners world and the internet, um, they are pretty rare. Uh, at least, yeah. at least in New England, I should say. Um, yeah. So I want to talk about your Boston marathon experience, but before we do, I, I know I do this quite a bit. Um, several of the episodes I've had that have preceded this one, in fact, have talked about kind of the, the mental strength and kind of lauding people for what they were able to do at Boston. You know, I've talked yes. to some people who, you know, with, withstood the conditions and, and were very happy with what they did. And, certain, and then another person, um, a woman named Jackie, um, who, you know, she has – she had an amputated leg um, 15, 20 years ago who did have to bow out of the race. But at the same time, you know, she, you know, you give it a go and you, you, you work as hard as you can and the results kind of, they are what they are. And yep. I want to bring up your experience with Boston, but before I do, I just want to bring up a quote um, from one of your blog posts, which I thought was, um, was really interesting. And I, and I think it, it does speak to how we approach the idea of mental fortitude um, under the guise of success. So the quote is, yep. the good side of mental fortitude gets lauded in the press, but we don't talk about the other side enough without making it sound like weakness. Yeah. Which I think is a, is a great point. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Um, I just think, you say you, you look at, say, the Olympics, and, you know, there's always like kind of that caption sort of view of just, you know, you know, that sort of, they work hard, they dream hard and, you know, they get the results and things like that. But, you know, there's so much to it, you know, um, especially in our day-to-day sort of world, you know, people have got jobs and responsibilities, different sort of careers. Just, you know, I mean, like family responsibilities and things like that. So it kind of makes it a bit more difficult really to to do so. Um, But it's, and for me, also it's a, a bit of a journey really. So, so I've sort of sort of gone off a bit track there. So um, yeah, I mean the one thing that I that I took from it, and I don't know if this is what you meant, but the one thing that I took from it was that you don't have to juxtapose like the the, the great achievements with assuming that people who don't achieve them are somehow weak, right? That almost all of the people who are doing these races are, um, you know, they've already reached a certain level of strength and yeah. grit. And as you put it, mental fortitude. And if someone does an amazing thing, that's great. But it doesn't mean that just because someone doesn't do an amazing thing, that they're somehow weak or not as tough. Yeah. And I think sometimes it, you have to go through a lot of moments where things aren't so amazing. Uh, mm. And you have slows of setbacks before you get to that point of that, that great pinnacle, which we sort of see. And I think that doesn't really get seen as much. I mean, like, for example, you can, I could sort of be really, uh, you know, surface level and just say, you know, work hard, train hard, and that will be it. But it, sometimes it's a little bit more than that. And it's all the failures, really, um, and all the times you get up and all the all the races that, you know, I, I didn't do so well in, you know, even though, you know, Boston was, the weather was what it was, and London is what it was. I've had marathons before where weather's kind of been similar, and I've just, my men- mentally I've just gone you know and it's been like it's too hot it's too cold and you've checked out um and it's all those kind of built those experiences where you've learned and you've built from them and all those miles in your legs um and just the mental strength really that um kind of pushes you forward but it's not saying that 
it's all positive. You know, there's times when you just don't feel like doing it. There's things you miss, and but it's just kind of embracing it. It's all part of the journey. And I just think like sometimes we just don't always see the whole package. Um, and it's just nice to just to kind of put things into like a, a you know a, ni- a nice little box. I mean, I'm going off topic here, but sometimes you, I've, I've been approached on social media where people come up to me and say, "Oh, how do you do this? And how do you get quicker running at this distance? Or how do you do this?" And he's like, "There's no magic pill. It's just I mean, look at the pros and the people that are faster than me. I just see what they do, and they just do this the right things consistently day in day out." Um, but you know, there's a, they have their sort of their ups and their downs, and it's just trying to show things in a in a, in a whole way rather than kind of just showing like the the highlight reels, which is kind of I think what my point was really about um, in in the blog article. Yeah, and I think another thing that you just alluded to or brushed up against is the idea of you know that, that there's going to be plenty of times where things might not work out the way you want it to, even if you are trying trying your best and that speaks to the idea of as if like you can't that being tough or mentally strong or weak or any of these, any of these adjectives that you can throw out there that they are not a static thing, right? It's yeah. not as if like, Hey, I was able to PR at the 2018 Boston marathon. So I'm, I'm strong, tough, um, you know, and I'm one, you know, I'm one tough SOB that doesn't, you know, th- who knows what might've happened a year ago and who knows what might happen a year from now. And that doesn't, wouldn't yeah. make you less of a person either way, but this idea of these labels being static in nature, as opposed to things, you know, we're all people, we all have our ups and downs. Um, there's, there's, there's already, there's always going to be that variability. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think you said you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, and it's the same for life, really. Like nothing is really static, really. Um, I mean, the way someone, and it's all the things that you've done before, you know, all the sort of the highs and lows that kind of build to that sort of process for Boston, really. Um, and Boston's a strange one, really, because you've got to bear in mind, and I'm going off topic here, um, you know, you spent all that time training for it, and then you get injured, and then you get to the race, and then you think, then you hear about the weather reports, and, you know, it's just like the highs and the lows, and you know, you want to kind of say to people, you know, oh, it was amazing. I had this mental strength and all that kind of stuff. But like everyone else, when when I left my hotel, it was freezing. You know, my shoes were soaking <laughs> wet. I was not feeling, you know, 100%. And, you know, you can get to a race and it's all comfortable. You're like, oh, I'm going to think about what I'm going to do in mile one. And I was just I was just freezing. I was just trying to keep warm. And then, you know, you're in this, this bus and it's all the windows are like all got condensation. You can't see anything. It's just like the hardest suspension <laughs> and you just, it's just, it's just, it's just, it was quite somber in the bus ride and you get there and then you know in Hopkinton and you know everyone's freezing you know, look at everyone's faces and it's just like it's like a funeral really so <laughs> um, but you know it's those moments really it's like when things don't always go to plan and going back to the quote really I mean that doesn't sort of come up with the highlight reel to be honest everyone look at the, the end and think oh no it's amazing that you did that but you know it was miserable I'm not going to lie, it was, it was miserable. Um, and for, for that race, it was just absolutely crazy because I just had to kind of switch off. I had to be like, you know, it is, the weather is bad and it is what it is. I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to accept it. I'm going to be where I am. And I think as soon as I accepted that, kind of switched off, just concentrated and put one foot in front of the other. I was thinking, just get to Hopkinton, from Hopkinton to, to Boston as quickly as possible. 
Um, and then as soon as I crossed the line and then I got asked a question about, you know, how you feel about it, then it kind of, it kind of, your emotions kind of come back into, into play. But again, going back to the, the quote, really, it's just, you know, that doesn't always get shown in the highlight reel, to be honest. It's just the ups and downs of emotions that you go through. Um, and that's what I try and show and talk about, but it, it's not always easy. Right. And now when you were at, when you're at a starting line, now yeah. you're an experienced racer, as, as you've just mentioned, you've run 18 marathons at this point uh, in other races as well. Are you nervous or anxious at a starting line? Um, I've got better at it. I mean, I would never say that I'm not nervous. You're always, you're always nervous. And I think it shows that you care. But what I try and do is um, just mentally prepare myself um, before, like the week before. I just try and visualize how the race is going to go. Um, but I had the added complication as well with, with, my, with my knee injury, thinking about what would happen if this, if it went and, and that played a, a massive factor. So you are nervous, but you try and, think of all you know possibilities that would happen obviously you can't predict everything but you try and think of the, if everything went well but you know as a marathon runner things will go south at some point <laughs> and you just have to manage that somehow um and you just try and draw on experiences that you've done, done before you try to think of all the things you've given up you know but you try and focus and you know prepare yourself i i, I find even in, in training and even the week before and then even before you're about to start you're kind of going into that kind of that place of just that focus really um, and that kind of helps with the nerves it doesn't take away from the nerves but the nerves will always be there but i think it's it's a good thing because it shows you care that's for sure and then with boston i always wonder how people think about their start at a race like that where you can basically say all right i trained for a certain time right did you have a, you know so like, like let's just yeah. take you for example was there a certain time that you were hoping for while you were training Yes, I mean, I haven't. This is a good question, actually, because prior to Boston, I was hoping to get closer to three fifteen. Okay, um, and that was what my times were suggesting from the lower distances, and then I got injured, and then you know, it kind of it was what it was. And then you get to the race, and it's it's a real change of mindset from thinking, oh, I'm going to go there and PB, I'm going to do this. I need to knowing that the conditions were were you know weren't, weren't the best for marathon running, and you're going from you know. Uh, thriving to surviving it literally was before I started I was shivering I was my, my teeth were chattering you know my feet my, my feet were just freezing um and it was just trying to get to Boston as quickly as possible <laughs> before I prefer me setting um so it was a real sort of different mindset really right because you're not thinking like all right this is what I need to do to to run my best or you're not nervous like can I do it can I do it it's more like especially with your with your knee it's almost like all right you know personal best out the window i'm not going to get the time yeah. that i hope for and as i always wonder yeah. like in that circumstance is that is the race day anxiety nervousness lessened because you almost have nothing to lose like it's like the expectations game is no longer there um I think if it was any other race, it would have been fine. But I think it was because it was a six-star finish and because oh. I'd started in 2010. So you had that extra little bit of pressure, really. Um, but right. it, pressure is a, it's a, it's a good thing, really. I mean, the first half, I did okay. I did, I think, 136. Um, and then I just felt That's my, great. That's a great It was good. I was, thinking, I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I want to get my, 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 the time I wanted. Uh, but then my knee started playing up and, you know, the, the rolling hills from like 16 onwards were just 
were tough. <laughs> and then I just I just couldn't keep the pace up. My stride just reduced quite a bit. And from then it was just going into kind of like a real sort of dark place. I remember when I did the Chicago Marathon last year and I said to Paula Radcliffe, who was at one of the stands, said, when you're like struggling, what do you do? And she was just like, I just put one foot in front of the other. And it sounds like really kind of simple advice, but it literally is, that was my thought process for Boston. Just like, forget the weather, forget that you're cold. You're literally putting one foot in front of the other, keep repeating and building and building and building and just go. Um, and it was just, yeah, I, I just literally had that her saying it in my head for, you know, for those like, three, three hours, 28 minutes. So, And what do you do to try to flush out the negativity? when it arises do you have mantras or what's your self-talk like when all of a sudden the demons start to creep in and we've all been there when they do especially in those marathons uh they might say all different things to all different people but what do you do to try to flush them out to stay in the moment uh i try and rather than what you resist sort of persists so i just i don't try and push it away i if it's there you know you're feeling it then you kind of accept it you kind of almost like have a, have a conversation with yourself it's like Oh, you know, it's it's really cold and it's really wet. You want to stop, don't you? And you're like, no, I've I've given up so much to get here. You know, I'm you know I've done this. I know I'm strong enough to do this. So it's just like it's like an internal conversation, um, and then you have to convince yourself that you're so. You, I think you get to a stage where you sort of tell your your brain that nothing is going to stop you from getting to the finish line. And I think once your brain accepts that, then your body just follows. Um, it's still something I'm I'm learning, but I mean, Boston was a great sort of experience for that. And I think once you sort of tell your body and tell your mind, then the body will will follow. That's interesting. How I love how you use that line. Whatever you re- resist, persists, and that you just kind of you 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 lightly engage with the the fear, the demons, and it reminds me of uh, a quote from or a passage in, I should say, from a book called Big Magic that Elizabeth Gilbert wrote. Um, uh, And in it, she talks, she basically talks about how as a writer or as a creator, you still have, you have that same fear and that for her, she, she put it in the context of like a car ride. She said, okay, fear, you can join, join me and joy. You're part of this family, but you don't get a say, you don't get to grab the wheel. You you don't get to touch the radio. You can't, you you can't touch the map. You're in this car ride, and for and for God's sakes, you are not allowed to touch the wheel or drive in any way. And it's kind of that idea of like, all right, you know, you're there, I see you, but you're not going to have a say in what happens here. Yeah, you can talk to me. I'm not going to try and send you not there because you are there. You're part of my life, but you know, you're not going to you're not going to stop me from crossing that finishing line. That's great. All right. So, but you did cross the finish line. It was was fantastic. You were able to do it. I saw some great photos of you. Actually, I saw one with you uh, in in Maurice, uh, who was on on this uh, podcast recently as well. Um, And and then here you are, but two weeks later, towing the line in London. So what was your thinking at that point when you're about to tow that race? Um, And uh, from, from your knee perspective, from your, you know, from your goal pace perspective, what were you yeah. thinking when you were getting ready for that race and how you approached it in the context of having just run a hard race on a bum knee? I think, you know, the marathon takes so much out of you physically and mentally. And I think after Boston, even though I PB'd, I, was, I think it's taken me a couple of weeks to kind of be fine with that. And people might think that sounds strange because going into Boston, I was thinking I'm going to go for this time. And 
and then you don't get it. And you have to kind of go through that kind of irrational part of your brain telling you X, Y, and Z. But then you look back and go, look, you know, the weather was what it was and I did the best I could. Um, so I had that playing in my, my mind um, before I got to London. So, and obviously you've got the travel and, and that kind of thing uh, plays into another factor. And the thing that I find is like when you do a marathon, say at the beginning of the year, you know, you forget about how painful it was <laughs> for like the middle part of the year. And you, you to get to the end of the year, like, oh, this is great. I'm going to run 26.2 miles. He's like, oh, I remember how bad it was. Um, and then I remember starting London and I was standing there at the start line. And, you know, sometimes you say things out in your mind, but then it comes out <laughs> in your mouth. And I said to myself, oh, gosh, I can't jump you know I mean. And people looked at me like, are you OK? <laughs> I, was like, I, I was remembering how how tough Boston was and it was just like one of those moments I was like I know what I'm going to have to go to, to to get to the end for this finishing line and you're just thinking am I, do I really want to go for that again but you know you're there and you just you kind of get through it really um, but both are really tough um, weather wise and you know but that's life really you know you're not you're not owed anything really. I mean, you, just because you put the training in, you, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. But you just have to be know that at some point your time will come. So there you go, and you got and you got a PB at Boston, one of the few, yeah. one of the few people who were able to do it. That's yeah. for sure. Well, congratulations on that. And um, thank you. And then you you mentioned before how you you know because you've become more of um, more public in your running, and people have really gravitated towards. Um, you personally and your message and your candor with all of these things. And now you're an ASICS front runner. Um, what, yes. what is that? Um, so I mean, ASICS is one of the biggest sports brands in the world. And they um, started a, a program really just to celebrate just regular runners. Um, when I say regular runners, actually, that's probably hard to sort, to sort of define. So it's from like elite level runners all the way down to just people that just enjoy running. But, the thing that unites us all is that we just have a passion for running. So it's not just in the UK, it was starting in Germany and it's spread to different countries across, uh, across the world. And even the UK team, you know, it's such a great bunch of people and, you know, there's so many different people from just like marathon runners to ultra runners. And like I said, the thing that unites us is just like the passion for running. And I think that's what the program is ultimately about. Um, and that's something that we try and, try and get across but um you, you could you know it's it's it's, it's a it's a difficult thing really isn't it because obviously you know people take it from what, what what they think it is or what they don't think it is but for me personally it's been been a lot of fun um and i'm just enjoying being part of the program yeah well it is nice to have to kind of be part of a team um or part of some some larger group especially for a sport that can be largely individualistic um, yeah. Even if you're surrounded by other runners, oftentimes your training is better done alone in certain respects because that way you can stick to, you know, the, the paces that you should be hitting as opposed to like either speeding up to run with someone else or slowing down to run with a friend and, and stuff like that. So it it is nice to have that community feel uh, when appropriate. So um, that is interesting. And and uh, hey, let me, let me um, before we get to the the last the last few questions here that I could do with every person. Um, yeah. 
first of all, let me say thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. Like I said, our, my first intercontinental podcast episode. Uh, I'm glad it worked out well, that's for sure. Um, and if people want to learn more about you, and I'll have all of these in the show notes uh, so people yeah. can get links for them. But wh- how can people follow you and learn more about the things that you're, that you're sharing and writing about? Okay. Um, so first, I've got to thank you for an amazing podcast. Um, you've had so many fantastic people. I know you've talked about Mike. I met Mike um, last year. Chicago is a, is a great guy. Patrick, you've had on. Maurice, um, you've had so many people that I can't all mention them all. But <laughs> thank you for like for what you're doing, really. Um, and it's a real pleasure to be um, asked to be on the show. Um, but for people to find me, I'm on Instagram at the Marathon Marcus, um, and that's my main thing. And then I've got my blog, um, the Marathon Marcus at WordPress. Com. Um, it's all kind of on my bio. So, but Instagram is my is my is my main thing. There you go. All right, and that'll be in the show notes as well. But I have a feeling that most people who are listening to this already know who you are. So you probably already do follow Marcus. So there you go. Yeah. All right. So yeah. uh, last last few questions. If you're going for a run, are you going headphones or no headphones? Um, both. It depends on the run. If I'm doing like an easy pace run. Um, then I'm, you know, a podcast or listen to music. But if I'm trying to do um, like a, a targeted run or holding a pace, sometimes I won't listen to music because I just need to be, I just need to be focused. Right. So what kind of music are you looking at? What kind of music do you listen to? Oh my gosh. Anything from um, <laughs> like really bad uh, 80s pop music, like from Rocky movies. Um how no dare you? How dare Rob- you say that that's bad, Marcus? <laughs> I am offended. I, I, I don't think. Robert Temper, like no easy way out. I love that song. I can see like a pol- a, is that really like no Rocky and Creed just running together. Do you know what I mean? On the beach, and I'm like there, right next to them. Um, so that's top of my play- playlist. Uh, you know, hip hop, um, rock music. Uh, just things that have got like a good beat to it mm, okay. um, that can kind of keep you moving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that. Most people, most people are kind of that way, right? As long as they have, as long as it has the underlying yeah. beat, they can just kind of zone out and kind of keep that going. Um, yeah. All right. What is the best advice that you give other people about running, but that you have trouble following? Oh, there's loads really. Um, probably the, what the one thing is uh, sleep and rest, uh, because I have a regular job and I've just had a, a new daughter uh, just seven months at the minute. Congratulations. Um, so How fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, but obviously the compromise is that I, I just don't get that much sleep. <laughs> so, you know, you're kind of up, up in the night and then you, you know, you get up, you do your, like a session, like a, uh, you know, before work and you're just dog tired uh, when you get to work. So it's just, it's just the recovery part really um that it's quite difficult to do and something i try and i try and do the best i can so like sleep uh, you know massages uh, you know rolling that kind of thing really so that's probably what i do a little bit less of that but that's just due to other commitments but unfortunately that's just life really you have to kind of do the best you can but do the best that you can with what you have really yeah i hear you i'm right with you on that one that's for sure. Um, now, you mentioned before that you're pretty, uh, pretty internal from a motivation standpoint, but are there runners yeah. out there who motivate you? Um, I think it would be sort of, I don't think it would be right to sort of pick out one person or not, but yeah. so many different people 
motivate me. And it's not always, you know, the the Elliot Kachobis or the Paula Radcliffe's of the world. It's, you know, everyone in between. Um, and it's the relationships that, you know, I have. And like going back to the front runner program, it's, you know, being around people that are passionate about running. And it's something I sort of take in my, my life outside of running as well. Is that like, if you want to go further, you know, just be with people that are, you feel uh, you know, is passionate about you or better than you. So it raises your own standards. Um, I'm always taking inspiration from different runners, different types of people. So I, I think it's the whole running community, really. Got it. Hey, you know I'm down with that. That's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm yeah. into that answer. Um, all right, if you could only run one more race, but you could run it every year, what race would it be? Oh, that's tough. <laughs> oh, it will be a marathon, but I'm not too sure. I think it might be New York. Be between New York and London, I think. I think this, the crowds and just the course for both are just incredible. Um, it, it'd be a toss-up between one of those two. Okay, now you've run a lot of races. So what, what's still left on your bucket list? It's a good question, actually. Um, and it's something I'm sort of struggling to sort of define for next year. I mean, there's so many races that you can do uh, abroad and things like that. But I think for me, rather than destination and adventure at this stage, I feel that there's more that I can do in a marathon distance. And I feel like I can get my times down. Um, even though, like I said, even though I PB in Boston, I still feel like I can go quicker. Um, but, you know, for Boston, it slowed everyone down, you know, from the elites. It was like the slowest finish for 30-odd years and the weather didn't help. So in my mind, I know I can go quicker. So for me, my main priority now is just to kind of run a race and, you know, see what, what that, that time would be like, what my best would look like um, and rather than actual the actual adventure at this stage. Right. So you, you're, you're kind of the opposite of most people. Most people have already done the, all right, where's a fast race around me that I can, you know, that I can do really cool. I mean, do really well, but what, as opposed to like finding cool races internationally to give it a try. So you've already, yeah. you've already done the international travel. You've already, now, uh, now it's about uh, running, running quick. No, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to be so too blase, but I mean, there's places I'd love to go to, like I'd love to do the big Sur marathon, um, you know, two oceans, uh, comrades. I mean, an ultra for South Africa. I mean, I'd love to try some, uh, marathons, especially in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. I mean, they would be kind of like way down the line. Um, but I'd like to do it when my daughter's a bit older and I can, she can enjoy that. But I think for now, it's more about, I feel if I put more time, if I keep working hard, I just want to see how good I can be. Um, and for me, I think it's more about choosing the right races to get the best results because, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's tough when you, you know, you, you train a year or so and and uh you know you just don't get the result because of the you know just different factors so i kind of want to want to do the fast race first that's my next target that makes sense all right last one yeah. who is your dream running partner ah good question um it's a toss-up between polar active because of just being one of the ultimate runners of just <laughs> all time um and probably Elliot Kachobi. And actually, funny enough, when I ran the London Marathon, when you get to halfway, you get over Tower Bridge, um, and you're think, approaching mile 13, and the other side of the road is like mile 22. I saw Elliot running like the opposite side, and it, 
it's just ridiculous as how relaxed and smooth this guy was just looking. He just looks like, do you know Roger Federer when he's playing tennis? It just looks like he wasn't sweating. He was, but you know, these guys are working hard. So I'd love to run with him just to see, do you know what I mean, if we're training run or just, just to pick his brain to see how he thinks and, you know, just learn from him, really. There you go. That's great. Thank you so much, Marcus. I really appreciated this conversation. No worries. Thank you for having me. All right. My pleasure. Talk to you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Marcus, thank you again for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. And thank you, the listener, for listening to the show. It's greatly appreciated. I hope you like this and all episodes. If you do, it would be wonderful if you could give me a rating and review on wherever you listen to podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts. I know that's where most of you hear this. Uh, those ratings and reviews, not only do they uh, they make me feel good knowing that you like this show, but they help me produce the show. They help me bring potential sponsors to the show, which only allows me to do more and better episodes in the future. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for listening. And to everyone out there, happy running.